for today. The scripture reading for today is Luke 10, 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. If you're newer with us, you might um, not be yet be aware that on a couple of times a year, there are five Sundays in the month, and on the fifth Sundays, uh, we have our children in worship with us during the whole service and participating and experiencing the whole of worship together. And um, while that might be a challenge for some uh, from time to time, it is also a wonderful benefit um, for the long-term goal of forming lifelong worshipers uh, from our kids. And so uh, today is one of those wonderful days where we welcome our children with us uh, this morning and what a joy and gift it is to have, have them. So I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up our series um, that we've been in the last few weeks. You might remember last week we looked at the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two lost sons. And uh, this week we look at another parable. It's the parable of the, uh, the, the good Samaritan. I almost forgot the parable we're looking at. Um, one of the things that I love about parables, and I mentioned this last week, is that for every parable, there is always an element of surprise. There's something unexpected. A parable, a, a more modern day word for parable would be the word riddle. Every parable is like a riddle. There's something to unlock, some kind of uh, truth that is not readily apparent. There's more than meets the eye. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is no exception to this rule. It's one of Jesus' most well-known parables. In fact, many people don't even know that it originates in the Bible, though they know of the parable. Um, when I was a child, my mom uh, it would have us put bags of clothing 
sending out a couple of times a year for Goodwill to come and pick up. And she would say, we're doing this because we need to be good Samaritans. And I didn't even know the story. But I knew that somehow a good Samaritan was somebody who does good things for people. Um, there are laws in the United States and in Canada that are known as good Samaritan laws. And it seems that the obvious message is that as followers of Jesus, we are meant to care for people who are in need. We're, we're called to take care of the real needs of real people because God, uh, God cares for those who cannot care for themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Today is Commitment of Giving Sunday for those of you who call this church your home church. If you're a visitor, don't worry about that. Um, but it used to be called Stewardship Sunday. And in stewardship conversations, in church leaderships and stuff, we talk about giving our time, our talent, and our treasure to the work of God through the church in the world. And how convenient that they all start with T. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that's stewardship. And we actually see this right here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He interrupts his journey in order to uh, come alongside another person in need. And he doesn't just give a few minutes. He gives his whole night. He stays with the person uh, for the rest of the evening, spending the night caring for the injured man. He gives his time. Then the Samaritan bandages the man, the injured man's wounds. We don't know uh, if he had any medical knowledge, but we, we, we see that he poured oil and wine on them, bandaged the man, used whatever skills he had to take care of this injured man. He gave his talents. And then we see that uh, he gives two denarii, Approximately two days wages to the innkeeper to take care of this person and he pledges to repay the innkeeper for expenses beyond two denarii. He gives his treasure. It's time, talent, and treasure. And here in this story, we see grace in action. We see what loving your neighbor looks like in very, very real terms. And at first glance, it just seems like a wonderful moral story, doesn't it? Jesus is saying in this story, okay, everybody, I want you to go out there and be just like that good Samaritan. He cared for someone in need. I would like for you to imitate him and go and care for others in need. And at this point, I could uh, talk about our church and all the ways in which we as a community are like good Samaritans in the world. I could talk about our local mission efforts that we do participate in throughout the entire year and then the special things that we do during the holidays I, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. I could talk about our deacons and their ministry of compassion, showing up for people in need. Our Stephen ministry is a one-to-one -one ministry of compassion with uh, real skills and, um, and care. Um, I could talk about our active prayer chain that we have throughout the week. And, and through all of that, I could say, now you guys are good Samaritans already. Now go and, and be even better Samaritans. Don't just be good Samaritans. Be great Samaritans. Go and do likewise. More, bigger, better. But if you remember what I said earlier, every parable has an element of surprise. There's a riddle here to be solved. 
There's always more than meets the eye. And so what's the surprise of this parable that seems so straightforward to us? Well, let's take a closer look at it. You remember how the whole thing began. Jesus was on his way um, from Jerusalem. He was headed down to Jerusalem. And in a village along the way, he got into a heated conversation with a local religious attorney. Uh, This guy knew the law of Moses. That was his expertise. And the lawyer didn't like Jesus' message, evidently. And so he tries uh, tries to expose a weakness in Jesus' teaching, sort of cross examines him on the witness stand. And he says to him, In your view, Jesus, just what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're the lawyer, you know, you tell me, What's, what does it say in the book of Moses? And the guy knew the book of Moses very well, and he quoted it to him. He said, well, the book of the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, said Jesus, there you have it. You know the law. You're right. Do this, and you will have life. But the lawyer wasn't going to give up that easily. Um, he wants to press further. And so he says, wait a second, Jesus. Just what do you mean by neighbor? Be precise here. Who exactly is my neighbor? In other words, what is like the bare minimum requirement for me? And it was in response to that challenge that Jesus tells this strange parable of the good Samaritan about a man who's traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he comes across some bandits, some robbers who mug him, who beat him up and leave him in a ditch half dead on the side of the road. Now if you're the hearers listening to Jesus tell this parable, the lawyer and the others who are around uh, uh, listening, at this point in the story there's no surprise. Because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a a notoriously dangerous and hazardous road. It was 17 miles of of steep descending limestone desolate hills and it was ideal terrain for bandits. And so if you're the hearers, you're thinking to yourself, this is not a surprise. However, this is what they all feared might happen to them. So it sort of makes uncomfortable sense as you're listening to the story Jesus is telling. But then there are two surprises that actually do take place. And the first surprise is that two people who could have helped, who you would expect to help this man in need, don't. They come up on the road, they see this troubled man, and they don't do anything. Who were they? They were the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite were the religious leaders. They were the, like the clergy and the elders of the church. Um, they, they were um, people who you would expect observe very high standards of holiness. Many of them lived in the rural areas around Jericho and they commuted uh, to Jerusalem. And so these good guys, for whatever reason, maybe they thought that, you know, uh, this person's unclean. I'm going to get in trouble if I get near them. Or maybe the per- they have religious duties that they have to get to. With the- Jesus doesn't tell us why, but they go to the other side and they ignore the person and avoid him. And that's the first surprise. The second surprise is that the one who we would expect to do nothing, the the last person in the world who we would count on for help is the one who in fact bravely shows up and rescues the injured man. Down the road, 
Jesus says. Along comes a Samaritan. Now, Jesus is, of course, Jewish. The religious leaders are Jewish. The lawyer who he's talking to is a Jew. Even the characters in the parable are Jews. The priest, the Levites, almost certainly the injured man, maybe even the robbers, it doesn't say. Um, But here comes a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans have a very long and bitter history of racial and religious hatred. These hearers would have tensed up about this. Oh, Samaritans coming to help this injured man. The injured man would not only not expect a Samaritan to help him, but he wouldn't even want the Samaritan to help him. Better to die in a pool of blood than to be touched by a despicable Samaritan. But it is the Samaritan who is despised and rejected who is nevertheless moved with compassion and cares for the injured man. Having told that story, then Jesus says to the lawyer, so now you define the term neighbor. Who proved to be a neighbor in the story? And the lawyer, not even able to muster up the word Samaritan, just simply blurts out the one who shows mercy. And Jesus says, good, go and do likewise. Now, as I said before, some people think that what Jesus is saying in this story is, okay, everybody, I want you to go out and be like that good Samaritan. He cared for someone in need. Now go and do likewise. But there are two problems with this interpretation. And the first problem is that if this were really the point, if this were really Jesus' point, just go be like the good Samaritan, he would have told the story a little differently. He would have left out all of that troubling Samaritan business. He would have simply said there, were, there was an injured man who was beaten up on the side of the road and three people came by who could have helped. The first person avoided him. The second person also avoided him. But then the third person came and helped him. So don't be like the first two. Be like that third person. But again, this is not just a simple moral story. It's a parable. It's a riddle. And there's something to be solved here, puzzled over. And it is the fact that an unwanted, rejected Samaritan is the one who shows mercy to his enemy. This throws a wrench into any simple explanation. Something deeper is going on. And that leads to the second problem, which is even more significant. If Jesus' point is that he wants us to imitate the compassionate courage of the good Samaritan, The sad fact is that we can't do it. We can't do it on our own strength. We can't just think our way into living like the good Samaritan with a nice moral story. Now just go pull up your bootstraps and add an extra dose of human effort and you're on your way. But try with all your might and you will end up with compassion fatigue. This is a very real thing that we we really saw come to the surface during the pandemic among many in the medical community after caring for so many people. One commentator put it like this. He said, if we're going to be good Samaritans, then this will mean more than a change of mind. It will take a change of heart. And that's what this parable is about. It's about a change of heart. So then the question is, well, how do I get that changed heart? How do I get a transformed heart that doesn't fatigue in this way? 
There's a researcher, um, a professor of sociology at Princeton University by the name of Robert Wuthnow, and he did some research on why some people are compassionate and generous and others are not. And through his research, he found out that for many compassionate people, something had happened to them. Someone had acted with compassion towards them, and that experience changed their life. It changed their heart. It changed their outlook on life. And so he tells a story, uh, with now does, about a man by the name of Jack Casey. Jack Casey is still to this day a volunteer, rescue squad worker, paramedic. And he had very little reason to be a good Samaritan. Jack was raised in a very difficult home, the son of an alcoholic father. He once said, all my father ever taught me was what I don't want to be like when I grow up. But something happened that changed Jack's life, changed his heart. He was having surgery one day. And he was about to go under anesthesia, and he was scared and frightened about this. And the surgical nurse reassured him. She was standing right there, and she had compassion. And she said to him, don't worry. I'll be right by your side, no matter, no matter what. I'll be here on the other end of this surgery, and you're going to be just fine. And when Jack woke up, she was true to her word, and she was right there. And it comforted him. Years later, Jack, as a volunteer paramedic, was called into the scene of an accident. A man was pinned underneath uh, in his truck upside down. And as Jack was trying to get him out of the wreckage, gasoline was dripping down on both of them. The, the rescuers were using power tools to cut the metal, so one spark could have set the whole thing on fire. Jack remembered what had happened to him long ago on that table, on that operating table, and how the nurse comforted him with her words and stayed with him. And so he did the same thing for the truck driver. Don't worry, he said. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be here this whole time. When I said that, Jack remembered later, he said, I was reminded of how that nurse had said the same thing and she never left me. Days later, Jack visited this injured man in the hospital and uh, the truck driver said to Jack, he said, you know, that was the foolish thing, the most foolish thing you could have ever done. Uh, we could have both burned up in there. Why in the world did you do that? And Jack said, I just couldn't leave you. Something had happened to Jack Casey that transformed his heart, changed his life, made him into a good Samaritan. Back to the parable for a second. Notice Jesus' twist. The lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, has, Jesus has taken that question away from him and has given it to the man in the ditch. Who is his neighbor? That's the question. Jesus asks the lawyer not to identify with the priest, not to identify with the Levite, not even to identify yet with the Good Samaritan. He's asking the lawyer and you and me, the hearers, the readers, to first and foremost identify with the person in need of mercy. In verse 33, it says that the Samaritan, when he saw this man in need, was moved with compassion 
or pity. That word there is the Greek word, it's called splenchnon. It's a very strange word. And it's the word that is most often used to describe the emotional state of Jesus. When you hear that word splenchnon, you think Jesus. In other words, uh, the reader is meant to see the Samaritan as the Christ figure, the protagonist in the story, and the guy on the side of the road, the everyman without a name, the you, the me. In other words, we're the person in the ditch, the one who lies helpless and wounded beside the road, the one who needs to be rescued. And Jesus is the good Samaritan, moved with compassion for us, has come to save us and to give us life, despised and rejected, lifts us into his arms, takes us to the place of healing, pays the price for our healing and restoration. And so the question is not the lawyer's, what is the definition of neighbor? The question is, who has been a neighbor to you? Jesus Christ has been a neighbor to you. The crucified one has been a neighbor to you. We are first the wounded man, and when we see ourselves there, in that part of the story, it is only then that we are able to be moved with compassion to come alongside another in need. It is his mercy that makes us merciful. When I think about where we as a congregation, I'll wrap this up here, where we are today and, and where God has led us through these last couple of years, during, looking back on the crisis of COVID-19, not that we're out of it completely, but for a minute there, all of the churches here in Salt Lake Valley kind of felt like we were all kind of beat up half dead on the side of the road. And, and by God's grace and God's mercy and your faithfulness, we not only survived that experience, um, but God did good things, wonderful things during that time that allowed us to thrive and even to come out the back end of this stronger than we were before. This is a grace. It's a grace that many churches have not been able to enjoy. And so in light of this, I'm asking myself what, what, the question, what is God calling us to do in response to this grace? How can, how can we as Mount O come alongside maybe some other churches or another church in our valley who has not weathered the storm or the beating, to mix metaphors, as well? And how do we be good Samaritans to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Again, it begins with gratitude for the grace that has come to us. And so if, if God is calling you to come forward to um, offer your gift into the basket, offer yourselves in service to God, you're welcome to offer your, your, your uh, treasure, the commitment of giving card, your time and talent inquiry. If you're not part of this church, if you're a visitor, maybe God has put something on your heart that you're called to out beyond this church. Maybe it's a particular person or a thing Write that on a piece of paper. Use a pseudonym if you want. Make that your offering. Whatever it is, whatever it is, may it not just be a mindful activity, but an offering that comes from a heart that has been transformed by the one who saw you in a ditch and came to rescue you. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you have rescued us from so much confusion confusion about our, who we are, about who you are, about how we show up in the world. 
Lord, you make all that clear for us in Jesus Christ, that we are born into love and we're born for love. And all of that has been put on full display in the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who with compassion came and lifted us into his arms. And so we thank you for, for our salvation. May we always remember who we are and who you are. And may that transform our hearts so that we can show up as people who don't just try to be compassionate, but as people who are compassionate because we're filled with you. In Jesus' name, amen.